When Jesus Christ returns, he will be the judge. And you can read about it in Revelation 20. And it's fittingly right at the end of the Bible as you get to Revelation and read the end of the book. All the dead are called before Jesus Christ, the judge. You'll either know him today as your savior or you will face him as your judge. But why does he say this? He will judge or recompense every man according to his deeds. Judgment before a righteous God will be according to deeds. But I said judgment will be according to deeds. Salvation will be according to grace. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 16 titled, Deny Yourself and Follow Jesus. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Christ was headed for the cross. And if you're going to follow him, listen to verse 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, that's still the case. That's a universal statement. Christ doesn't call you and me to a happy life here and now. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, at breakfast this morning, I was happy because I had eggs and a muffin and coffee and I'm in fairly decent health, you know, and I was happy. And I'm saying the happiest people I know are Christians, but that's not what he called us to. And if we have blessings here and now, praise his name. But many of our brothers and sisters around the world know in much way, in ways we can hardly know what it's like to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. And these men were going to be evidenced by that. Uh, they're going to suffer and die, most of them, for following Jesus. And uh, Christ was headed for the cross. To follow him is to be willing to suffer shame, reproach, persecution, even death. Uh, and we need to say it clearly. Now, whoever wishes, you might say, oh, I don't want that. Verse 25, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. If you've been a Christian any length of time, or, and by the way, if you're not a Christian, welcome. Uh, this is a good place to just come and look into things because we just use the Bible and we're not grinding any particular church acts or anything else. We're business people that gather in downtown Portland uh, and our goal is to bring clear Christ-centered Bible teaching. So uh, this is a great place to be. And if you're not a believer yet in Christ or if you haven't given your life to him, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. But I'm telling you that if you know him, you've probably heard this before because if I were to pick a theme verse of Jesus' sayings, and particularly of his sayings when he's exhorting us or calling us to action. And of course, as I said, he spoke like no man ever spoke, and he calls to action like no man ever did or could. If I had to pick a theme verse, I might pick verse 25. You say, is that just your opinion? No, what I'm saying is that as I read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, on five, at least five different occasions, he states just this. In Matthew 10, we already saw it, when he sent out the 12, 
he stated this, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's what he said back six chapters, yeah, six chapters ago, chapter 10, when he was sending out the 12. Then uh, in Luke 14, in a whole different setting, when the multitudes are all around him, you might say, well, this is just for his 12 disciples. No, when the multitudes were really gathering around him, and he'd get big crowds, you remember. In Luke 14, he turned to the multitude, Luke says, and stated this, and uh, emphasized the cross and discipleship and self-denial and almost verbatim quoted uh, this statement, verse 25. Then in Luke 17, uh, that's Luke 14, verse 26, by the way, but in Luke 17, when he's in the middle of his prophetic discourse, when he's telling, again, amazingly, uh, you can read the future by listening to Jesus, whether you turn to Matthew 24 and 25 or Luke 17 or many other places, Jesus would just tell what's going to happen in this age. Uh, we don't have to guess what's going to happen. We don't know the details in that I won't tell you who's going to be elected president or who's going to be the senator from district such and such, you know, but we know the big sweep. We know what's going on. And in the middle of that prophetic discourse, right when he said, and he was, his prophecy, when Jesus gives prophecy, it's not merely to, you know, to satisfy our idle curiosity. It's always to, when he tells us the future, it's to help us live the present, the here and now, right now. And so he was lacing that prophetic discourse with exhortation. And he said, and I'll just read it to you because uh, I don't want to misquote it. 1733, whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life shall preserve it alive. Almost verbatim. And by the way, the context there, he had just talked about the fact that when he's coming back, it'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah before I get back. And then he said, one of the pithiest statements in the Bible, Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life shall preserve it alive. Well, if you're not familiar with the story, go read it in Genesis 19. And remember Lot's wife. And don't get too occupied with this Sodom and Gomorrah-like world that we're living in. In fact, the more it gets dark and perverse and Sodom and Gomorrah-ish, you can be sure that we're nearing, we're getting one day closer to the return of Jesus. That's the prophetic discourse. Well, then on Palm Sunday, and we call it Palm Sunday, but I don't know that we should, but, you know, it's coming up. What is it, next a week from Sunday or something, uh, Easter's coming, and we're in that season where we talk about Palm Sunday. Well, when Jesus came into town and they were waving branches, this is down in Jerusalem now, right before the cross, he took the time, John 12, 25, to say, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life will gain it to eternal life. He stated this statement again. Well, I say it's a theme. Let's look at it carefully. Verse 25, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. What's he saying here? Um, when he says wanting to keep your life, save it, and you'll lose it. Or as he says in John, to love your wife. And I say I gave you five occasions when he said this. I got to think there's many other times he said it. 
because he had an active three-year ministry. And so I think there were many other times that he said it. But this is describing the non-Christian. This is describing people in Portland. It could be describing you. When you're confronted with Christ, you say, I like my life the way it is. Don't bring, no, I don't want that. I don't want him. I can see why you like him. I can see, but I want my life the way it is. That's one response. Or another way to reject Jesus is to love your life and say, no, my life is fine. I think I'll be fine with God. In fact, I don't believe in a God who would judge people. And I think I'm as good as the next guy. And we self-defend our life. But whatever it is, if you want to hang on to your life, that's the basic response of Christ rejectors. Christians, on the other hand, Christ followers, when they hear the message, and I hope I'm describing you, you mean I could lose this life? I'd like to. You mean I could lose my guilt? I could lose my shame? I could lose the, I mean, I could have a clean slate. I could be, I could be forgiven. And Immediately, there's this desire, or maybe not immediately. Don't, I mean, don't let me paint a wrong picture. Maybe it took, like it did in my life, a process of hearing this and realizing you could be a new creature in Christ. You could have a whole different brand of life, a whole new, and you say, and you turn loose. You hate your life, so to speak, and then you gain it to eternal life. And by the way, the non-Christian, uh, our world, Portland, often evaluates the gospel and conversion just the way Jesus is saying here in verse 25. It often says, hey, and people tell you, if you've come to Christ, you're throwing your life away. <laughs> they feel that way. Because they say, why would you give money? I mean, you know, or why would you give time? Or why would you give energy? You're throwing your life away, basically, because they want what they've got, the here and now. And they assume you would, too. And the Christian says, no, I found life, and I'm investing myself, my time, my talents, my treasures, whatever I've got. And uh, the non-Christian will say, hey, you're, you're living for pie in the sky, man. <laughs> you're always talking about eternity. And you know what the Christian responds? At least I'll tell you how I respond to that. Yeah, I am. I'm living for pie in the sky, but it isn't pie in the sky. It's what really counts. And if you know Jesus Christ, your, your heart assents to what I'm saying. And some of us, and I would be the first to say, sometimes I don't live it consistently. Sometimes I'm way too occupied with the here and now. But my life choice is to say, I want this life and turn loose of that life. So verse 25 is thematic. Verse 26, for what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Wow. Let those words sink in. <laughs> what will a man or a woman, what will a person be profited if he gains the whole world? He had all the money in the world. You could buy anything. Except happiness, life, what really counts. But still, let's suppose you had all the money in the world. Or think of it another way. You had, maybe you ache for people to recognize you. You know, they always talk about 
President Obama and President Trump and President Clinton, what's their heritage? What's their legacy going to be? How do they want to be remembered? Suppose you could be, you could have all the fame in the world. And I, even by saying it, I almost have to say, we know, we read the papers about people who have all the money they don't know what to do with. They got enough money, they could buy anything they want. They've got enough fame, they can't walk down the street without people saying, hey, how are you doing? They, and, and it brings great happiness, right? <laughs> no. You just almost always read the article knowing that it's going to lead to not what they thought it would. Or you had all the power. Suppose you had, but let's even suppose, because Jesus says, what would a man be profited if he gained the whole world? Money? pleasure, power, fame. He had it all. And let's even suppose that it brought happiness. Okay? Now, it doesn't. But in some cases, we think, man, I know some people that have some money and they seem to really enjoy it. And I know some people who really enjoy their illicit sex and their this and that, you know. And so let's suppose it brought happiness. What's the deal? Jesus' words still ring true. Where will you be a hundred years from now? Dead. That's where. Jesus is saying, suppose you did have everything this world could offer. And suppose it did bring the satisfaction that you're longing for. What will a man give in exchange for his eternal soul? I uh, came downtown this morning a different route. And, you know, usually I just take my beaten path and I kind of get mindless and the car just goes. I don't even have to steer, you know. But I came a whole different route and I came by two different places on my route where I remembered wealthy, wealthy people that I knew personally where they died. Yeah, I just, I just remembered. Oh, yeah, that's where Joe Blow ended his days. And that's where... Joe Smith, you know, ended their day. And I thought, wow. And I, and in both cases, it's been a while now. And they had a lot of money and a lot of fame in their little world, Portland. And uh, they're gone. But they're not. They're in eternity. Well, Jesus would have each of us really think about this. Jim Elliott, who grew up right over here on Mount Tabor, you know, Jim Elliott, the man who gave his life down in Ecuador uh, at age, I think, 28 uh, in, a, in, a, in 1956 when it was very a publicized martyrdom. These missionaries who were seeking to reach the tribe down there were slaughtered by that tribe. Jim Elliott said a lot of things in those 28 years that speak to us even today. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, turn loose. You can't keep it anyway. To gain what you cannot lose. Yet, there's no price tag. There's no, you know, there's just, I'd have to say the insanity, the insanity of sin twists our minds to, to live for that which can't satisfy and to ignore what Jesus was saying. And so, so many people in Portland, I hope not you, but it could be very well true in this room that you're exchanging your soul for a career or 
your soul, your eternal soul, for some money. You're selling your birthright for a cup of soup like Esau did, you know. It's a fool's deal. Well, verse 27, then he says this, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not see death, shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. I read that in purposely, bridging, just kind of ignoring that chapter heading, because you can see the context better, I think, to not stop and think this, is, this scene is over. It's not. Six days later, right after he said this, he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. But notice verse 27. He said, the Son of Man, that's his favorite self-designation, is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And I have to think this encouraged them, even though they don't get the full picture yet. And Peter's saying, Lord, you can't die. And he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. And he explains, and he's still educating them. I have to think they're excited just like I am when I'm told by Jesus that he's going to come in the glory of his Father and with his angels. He is coming back, let me tell you. And it's, he, the scripture says, Hebrews 10, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And I'm not saying it's going to be within 10 years or 10,000 years. But I'm telling you, when we get out there, oh, day after tomorrow and eternity, you know, when eternity starts to unfold, we will see how true that is in a very little while. History is short. And it's going to end, and I think he's coming soon, very soon. But I can tell you this, he promised in a very little while, he who is coming will come. So this had to encourage them, but look at the rest of the verse. And he will then recompense every man according to his deeds. When Jesus Christ returns, he will be the judge. And you can read about it in Revelation 20. And it's... Fittingly, right at the end of the Bible, as you get to Revelation and read the end of the book, every, all the dead are called before Jesus Christ, the judge. You'll either know him today as your savior, or you will face him as your judge. But why does he say this? He will judge or recompense every man according to his deeds. I, I don't think I can emphasize this enough. Judgment before a righteous God will be according to deeds. Scott, I thought you always said that we're saved by grace, not according to works. I do. I'm quoting the Bible when I say that. But I said judgment will be according to deeds. Salvation will be according to grace. So the scene in Revelation 20 is not all of mankind being drugged before the judge. 
The scene in Revelation 20 is the great delineation that the Bible's been insisting on all along. When you come to Christ, you are born again. You're a new creature, and you're in a new citizenship. You're in part of a new race. You're not going to be drugged before that judgment bar. Somebody was drugged before that judgment bar for you. The one who said, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And so when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, John 5, 24, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And I need to underline this because I find so many people kind of just read the Bible and never really get this truth. And some Christians, some pastors, some preachers inadvertently Talk about judgment is something we don't really want to talk about. Jesus talked about it all the time. And he said, every time you find judgment in the Bible, you will find it according to merit, works, deeds. Look at it, verse 27. He will recompense, and he's quoting. Verse 27 is a quote from the Old Testament. He's going to recompense us according to our deeds. So I meet business people who know how the world works, you know, and say, to me, Scott, I believe we're going to be judged according to how we operated. I know how life works. And, and they think they're saying that they don't believe in what Jesus said. And I'm, I said, you know, we will. If you spurn Christ, you will stand before God according to how you lived. And Jesus said every careless word, every thought. You say, well, Jesus said, you know, you, you say, I, I kept myself from some sexual sin. He said, I say to you, if you even looked on a woman with lust, you're guilty. He raised the bar all the time, telling us that don't try to stand before God in judgment. You will not make it. It will be according to deeds. But grace, unmerited favor, is what Jesus Christ provided. So Jesus Christ took my sin, my guilt, my careless words, my lustful thoughts, everything all my sins, and he bore it in his body on the cross so that when I am saved, I stand before God on unmerit. I stand in the merit of Jesus. But one who spurns Christ will face him as their judge, and judgment will be according to deeds. Now, Jesus tied this right with, he says, there's some of you standing here, verse 28, you're not going to taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. He tied his first coming with his second coming regularly. And some people have stopped there just because the chapter kind of actually kind of interrupts here, you know, and you just quit reading and you think, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Because he hasn't come back yet. And some of the people standing there, they're all dead. They've been dead for 2,000 years. Well, that's why I purposely just read on. He took three of them that were standing there, Peter, James, and John, and gave them a little foretaste of his glory. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Deny Yourself and Follow Jesus, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Jesus ministered to large multitudes, but then he picked 70 out that he sent on a mission. We've seen that earlier in this book. Then he picked 12 out and called them to follow him closely. And from the 12, he zeroed it down to three at times. There are times when he just took Peter and James and John with him. He didn't take Thomas and Andrew and Philip and the rest of them. He just gave three of them this intimacy with him uh, that they enjoyed. Verse 2, he was transfigured before them. He was revealed. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, The Inner Circle. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.